Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues with part three of the six-part series, 180, Turn Your Life Around. Brandon explains that there are two parts of grace, and how so often we only see the first part, God's forgiveness, and forget the second, which is our responsibility. In order for us to receive God's abundant grace, we have to be willing to let some things go. Amen. And so the, the saga continues with uh, our, our friend who is trying to transform himself Thank you, into, uh, uh, I guess, a more physically fit person. And we've started this um, series, 180 Fitness, and we're looking at this and, and, uh, and looking at what it means to transform our lives. We, we want to begin to think about not just being transformed spiritually, but being transformed physically. And so that's where we started this series uh, called 180 Spiritual Fitness, Turn Your Life around. I've always wanted to do some messages around that. I just thought it was such a perfect thing for us, uh, not just physically, but spiritually. So this is where we're going. Um, and the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at, um, at some of these messages. And one of them was that we looked at the fact that our transformation begins and ends with a burden, that, that there is something that happens in our life where we begin to have a burden to come to Christ. It's, it's what Corey had this morning, that a, a burden on his heart, this desire that I need to know Jesus. And it brings us closer to God. And then we begin to see, um, as we draw close to God, the Bible says he draws close to us. But what happens is we begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. We begin to see ourselves in light of, of God. And we begin to see that there are things in our life, in our heart, that don't line up with the heart of God. And so we begin to change. And God begins to work and change our heart. As he begins to work and change our heart, our heart becomes God's heart. We begin to see things the way God sees them. And all of a sudden, there's a, a burden, there's a desire in our heart for the things that God desires. There's a, a burden on our heart to do the things that God would have us to do. And then last week, we talked about this. We talked about that anytime we begin to move in that desire, in that burden, that, that we're going to go through times of uncertainty. As a matter of fact, we, we wrote down some uncertainties in our life last week, and then we wrote down a promise of God that would cover that uncertainty. And I hope you're still holding on to those promises so you can't come to the altar one time and say, I'm going to believe in the promise of God and walk out of here and think everything is going to be okay. You have to come to a place where every day, every second, you are leaning on the promises of God. And looking into what is certain in times of uncertainty. And so that's where we are. We, we are caught up now. So you got to hear the last two weeks, about an hour and a half worth of messages in like three and a half minutes. So consider yourselves blessed and lucky that you didn't go through the whole grueling thing. But today we want to begin to look at the next message. We're taking all of these messages out of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was a guy who had been taken captivity. He was a Jewish guy. They, they had gone in. They had destroyed uh, Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem. Judah, the, the, the um, area of Judah was in shambles. Nehemiah's brother comes to him. He says, listen, um, how, Nehemiah asks him, he says, how are things over in Jerusalem? How, how's my homeland? And he says, it's in shambles. The people are in shambles. Everything's a wreck. And Nehemiah began to have this incredible burden. But he had to go through a lot of uncertainty in order to begin to remedy um, this situation. But he, he finally gets up the nerve to go and ask um, the, the king if he could go back and begin to rebuild uh, the city of Jerusalem and the walls surrounding it. And so we want to pick up there today. I want you to turn, if you have your Bibles, in Nehemiah chapter 2. If you don't have them, I encourage you to bring them. We're going to be looking at them every week. So it would be good to bring them. You can highlight, make notes, underline, do all kind of stuff in there. You can draw pictures, make fun of me, whatever you want to do in your Bibles. Um, you can do that, but bring it and so that we can study it. We're going to be reading in 2 verses 1 through 9. 
Because what I want us to see here today, this, this is the main thing. If you are going to do the things that God has called you to do, the hand of grace is going to have to be upon your life. And I want us to get a proper understanding of grace this morning. Nehemiah needed a lot of grace. And as you read the book of Nehemiah, you'll see in here where it says that the gracious hand of my God was upon him. So we're going to read 2, 1 through 9. It says this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And remember, we're taking this transformation theme from a guy who was a wine tester, basically. All he did was test wine for a living. Some of you are like, where do I sign up? All he did was test wine for a living and, and made sure it wasn't going to kill the king. Now, this guy was was his life was basically worthless, right? I mean, if you have a job where they say, okay, you do this. If it kills you, we won't let him do it. There's not a lot of priority or a lot of value placed on your life. But Nehemiah goes from being this, this, this guy who has little value to a guy who becomes the governor of the area of Judah. He becomes a guy who transforms not, not only his own life, but the lives of many, many other people. And so this is who we're looking at. I was very much afraid as he went before the king, and the king asked him this. He says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. He's moving through this uncertainty. He's like, I pray to God because I don't know what's about to happen. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. He goes a step further. He said, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governor of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter, a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God, because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. That's the favor of God, is it not? And when he asks for something, he gets even more. And so we're going to begin to look at the gracious hand of God upon the life of Nehemiah and what that means for us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and for, God, being willing to give it to us, for, for giving us everything that we need, God, for life and holiness, to live for you, to be transformed. God, I pray that today that is literally what happens. I thank you that your grace was sent not only to forgive us, but to change us, to change us, God. So today I pray, Father, that that is what begins to happen in our hearts, that we would be awakened to newness of life through the grace of your son, Jesus. I pray that you would anoint this word that would sink deep into our hearts, produce incredible fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you, um, how many of you like soccer? Anybody like soccer, World Cup going on? Okay, I don't understand you, but I won't judge you, okay? Um, I have never been a soccer guy. I just didn't grow up playing soccer. And uh, I played soccer one year, and um, it was very interesting. It was, it was interesting because they put me at goalie for the entire season. I was 10 years old, and I did this most of the time. That's all I did. They were out there running around playing, kicking the ball, having a good time, and I'm like this. Except for a couple of times, every game, they would come down and they would kick the ball and I'd either catch it or miss it. And then, you know, I had very little to do, but it was quite boring. And so I never played again. 
But during that season, I, uh, I, I was going for a ball, and I dove for the ball, and when I dove for the ball to try to stop it, I, I guess my head resembled the ball. And so the guy comes up, kicks me in the head, like kicks at the ball, hits me in the head, and, and kind of knocks me a little cuckoo for just a minute. And, and I'm laying there on the field, and, um, and, and just, just really laying there, and, and, and just thinking, wow, I knew I should have quit this a long time ago. And so I'm laying on the field, and finally my dad comes out there. I mean, there's a big uproar in the stands because this guy stands up, and he hollers out something like, get the sissy off the field. Or, or, it was some, or get it, he's faking, something like that. And my like 60, 65-year-old granddaddy stands up and is ready to fight this 30-something-year-old guy. And so it was like the big, a big mayhem. But anyway, I got kicked so hard in the head. It did not feel good. I was like, why did I play this sport? But here's the deal. That's sort of like what happened to me this week. Have you ever just spent time with God and felt like you got kicked in the teeth? Have you ever just been kicked in the butt by God? I mean, where you've been cruising along thinking that you're doing okay, thinking that everything's all right, and all of a sudden, shabam, and you're like, ow, what did I do? And God just begins to reveal to you that there are things that aren't right in your life, that you've settled, that, 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 that you've quit moving in the grace of God. So I believe that that's what happens to a lot of Christians, is that we get to a place where we just kind of stop. Or worse even, we, we just never stop. And so I want to throw out, I guess, maybe a little disclaimer as we get into this today. Um, that I got kicked in the butt, and so maybe it feels like I kicked you in the butt this morning. Is that okay? Everybody good with that? Kind of like, all right, all right. Because here's the thing. I don't, and you got to hear my heart. If you're asleep already, please wake up. We're like two minutes into this thing. Please wake up. Because you got to hear my heart in this. My heart is not to condemn anyone. It is not to judge anyone. It is, but it is to not let us settle for less than God wants for us. See, this matters to me. This, it matters that somebody gets saved in this church. It matters that we don't quit short of what God has for us. It matters that, that we see people transformed. And do I love you as you walk through the doors? I don't care how you walk through the doors. I don't care if you're white, black, Hispanic. I don't care if you just got done smoking a joint. I don't care if you just got drunk the night before. I don't care what you've done. But what I refuse to do is to love you as you are, but not encourage you to change. I refuse to do that. And so today I pray that you will hear this as an encouragement, as maybe a wake-up call that, hey, it's time to begin to move again. Maybe it's something that, 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 that you never started. And it's time to begin to go. So we're all on the same page, at least starting out. Hadn't lost you yet, right? We're all good. So we're going to begin to move and look at this even closer. I, I want you to understand that any time you begin to have a burden to do what God has called you to do, Anytime you begin to feel God leading you into something, his grace will always be there and it will always be sufficient enough to carry you through. Right? You probably need to write that down. Anytime God puts a burden on my heart to lead me into something, his grace is always sufficient and it is always enough to carry me through. He's not going to call you into something and then go, oh, by the way, I forgot. I had something else to do over here. Good luck with that. He's not going to do that. 
He's calling you into something. He's going to supply everything that you need. That's what he did with Nehemiah. He put a burden on Nehemiah's heart. Nehemiah began to move, and God began to supply everything he needed. Was it always peachy? Was it always just wonderful? No, it wasn't always peachy. It wasn't always wonderful. There were times of uncertainty, but God's grace and his gracious hand was always upon Nehemiah. And some of us never move with God because we're not really sure if God's hand will actually be upon our life. But it will. God will be faithful. God will do everything he's promised you he will do. And if we're going to become everything that God wants us to be, if we're going to the place that God had in mind for us, that he desires for us, that he wants to get us to, if we're going to go from the wine tester to the governor or, or whatever it might be that God's calling us to do, then we've got to have the hand of grace upon our life. And when we begin to step and move, it will be there. God will do what he says he will do. The problem is some of us never give him opportunity to do what he says he'll do because we never move. So if we're going to do this, if we're going to the place that God wants us to go, listen, we've got to have a proper understanding of God's grace. If we're truly going to be transformed by the grace of God, which is what the grace of God was intended for, is to transform our lives and, and to give us newness of life, then we have got, we have got to have a proper understanding of God's grace in our life. Because here's the thing that I see in church. We like the first part of grace, right? We love the first part of grace because grace covers all our sin. We even sing that. Grace that covered all our sin. We sing it and we love it and we raise our hands and we love the fact that God's grace covers all our sin. But the thing we've got to see is grace doesn't stop there. Does God come all the way to where we are so that he can save us? Yes. But does he leave you there? No. Remember we said back the past two weeks that he gets us here and he takes us all the way back to where he came from. It's the going from glory to glory. It's God changing our life consistently, constantly. So that the second part of God's grace that we don't talk about as much, I was listening to songs on the radio, on the Christian radio station. I didn't hear any songs about this this week because we're so fixated. Our culture, our me culture has taken Christianity, the most not about me religion in the world, and we made it about us. We have, haven't we? It's like the Burger King. It's like, have it your way. And we've taken it and made it all about me and about us. And, and God's grace, was it intended to save you? Yes. Was it intended to be about you? No. So here's the thing we don't get is our salvation, Corey, our salvation is not about us as much as it's about the other people that God's going to use to impact through our life. Because the purpose of mankind has not changed since the very beginning. We were called to subdue the earth and multiply and fill it. That is what we're called to do. And so how are we going to do that? By multiplying. By going and, and, and Corey going and touching somebody at work with the love of Jesus. And then they come to know Jesus. And then they go. It's, it's multiplication. Can you imagine? Look at this. We're, we're almost full in here today. Pretty full. Pretty, pretty close to capacity. Can you imagine what would happen if everybody out here this month, just take a whole month. Don't even think it's got to happen next week. This month, next year, we go out, pour the love of Jesus into one person and bring them to Christ. Can you imagine and then what if that happened the next year? And then what if that happened the next year? It'd be the grace of God. See, Jesus didn't come and die just so that we could find the first half of grace and be forgiven. He came and died so that we could find grace to be forgiven and then be changed. Be changed. And we're going to look at this today. We've got to realize, listen, this thing is not just about us getting saved. Because that's what the American church has made it. 
That's not just what it's about. It is about your life being transformed. And I'm going to be very honest with you today. Very, just brutally honest right now. There are too many people walking through the doors right there who aren't changing. There are too many people who are walking through the doors of every church in the United States who have looked Jesus in the eye, literally spit in his face, given him the finger, and turned around and said, I will do my own thing. And this needs to stop. We've got to become the people that, that, that realize that God's grace warrants me giving my all for him. God's grace was not just something so that I could live any way I wanted. Listen, it is us giving our all for a God who loves us so much that he would die for us and who saves us for eternity. And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you today that if you're walking through the doors and nothing's happening in your life, we need to look at this. And we need to get real about it. And we need to figure out why. All right? Are you with me? We good? Let's keep moving. All right. Now, where am I? Kind of got going there. This is what I want us to do first today. I want us to begin to look at some misconceptions about grace. I want us to begin to, to look at what it means to actually live in God's grace. And then I want to give you a definition or two of what grace is. And then I want to conclude with a little demonstration that I hope will help you. Um, so that's where we're headed. Let's pray again. I feel like we need to pray. Let's pray again. Let's do that. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your heart for us. God, I thank you that you won't leave us where we start. But you're faithful to complete what you've begun in us. And so, Father, I pray today that we begin to cling to you, that your word, God, would begin to separate everything that's not of you in our life, and, God, that we would be exactly what you want us to be. Amen. Listen to this. How many of you, if you've had children that are grown or, or you're in the process now of raising kids or maybe one day you're going to have children, how many of you that your hope in life is that one day my son, one day my daughter is going to grow up and when they are 25 years old, they're going to be sitting on my couch watching my TV, eating my Doritos, you know, living out of my refrigerator, sucking up my AC. How many of you hope, you know, and some of you are like, well, how do I get rid of them? <laughs> They're there. How do I get rid of them? But how many of us really hope that happens? Nobody. None of us are sitting here today and going, well, you know, I just I love my kid so much. I hope when he's 25 that he's just eating up all my food and sitting on my couch. Nobody's sitting there saying that today. I mean, I hope we, we have more, more hope and, and, and belief in our children than that. I mean, I know for me, I want to empower and equip my kids to become the best that they can be, Right? I want, them to, I want them to one day begin to be able to live a responsible life and do the things that they were created to do for the kingdom of God. And so I need to be pouring into them. One of the things I got kicked right in the teeth, I mean right smack in the mouth, God just like, bam, this week was that I began to slip on um, sharing the word with my own children. You know, we got to the end of school, it got busy, we got to summer, and, and now they forget that I have to get up in the morning, and so we're swimming at like 10 o'clock at night and stuff. Like, I'm like, it's crazy, I gotta go to work tomorrow. And so we got busy. And I realized that sharing the word with them, reading their Bibles with them, talking to them about God, it began to slip. So I went this week uh, to the Christian bookstore, and I didn't buy, I was like, I'm not buying children's stuff. Uh-uh. Seven and four, Jackson turned four yesterday, I got used to that. Seven and four, we're reading the big stuff. I'm, I'm telling them about Jesus. We're reading the big stuff. So I got a little devotional, 365-day devotional, and I'm telling you what, the other night, Susan and I unloaded, then Jackson fell asleep. He, he was lucky. 
He was lucky. Because Susan and I unloaded the entire dump truck. And just a dump truck load of like a, a couple of months of stuff that we hadn't said. And so Dake's over there. He's like, it's like trying to get a drink of water out of a fire hose, man. And he's like, it's just flowing all over. And we're just like, you understand this? And finally he just stops and he goes, I don't understand anything that guy wrote. And so we had to break it down a little bit more. But I began to realize I was slipping. And listen, this is the first misconception of grace. That grace relieves me of my personal responsibility. Grace does not relieve you of your personal responsibility. See, anytime you are in a personal relationship with God or with anybody else, you have a personal responsibility. Can you imagine if I totally neglected my wife? I would not wake up one morning. I'm not the best husband to start with. I I do my best. I try, I try, I try. But you know what? If I totally neglected her, there are things I need to work on. I was convicted about this week. But if I t- it wouldn't last very long, would it? What kind of father would I be if I totally neglected my children? Not a very good one. Because in any personal relationship, we have a personal responsibility. Listen to this. Romans chapter 6, 11. We're going to read a good bit out of Romans chapter 6 today. 11 verses through uh, 14. Listen to this. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. But how many of us in here are living our lives dominated by sin? We're not dominated by the things of God. We're dominated by sin because when we got saved and we said a prayer, we did this thing where all of a sudden the personal responsibility and our part in this whole thing just got thrown out the window. We just said, okay, I'm good, I'm safe. And and, and we just threw our personal responsibility out the window. You have a part in this too. You have a part to play in this relationship with God. The problem is that most of us don't do our part. I will promise you this. God is doing, will do, has done his part. Are you doing yours? Am I doing mine? Or am I just trying to get through life riding the coattail of grace? That shouldn't be the way it is. I mean, Paul says, don't let sin reign in you. Don't let, because of what Jesus did, don't let it. You have power over it. And right now, every one of us in here knows, right now, you've probably already thought of what it is in your life that's not right. Haven't we? I mean, there are things that, but what are we doing to try to remedy that? Are we doing anything so that, so that, so that the church becomes more like Christ? So when people look into the church and they see us, and they see us living our life, they see us in line at Walmart, they see us in, in, in line at the grocery store, they see us trying to find a parking place, they see us on campus when, when something doesn't go our way, they see us in line at, at Burger King or McDonald's, that we actually reflect Jesus. That we don't just like stick our finger out the window at people when they get our parking place at Walmart. Man, we were at, we were at uh, Jackson's birthday party yesterday, and, and um, I said something. It wasn't bad. It, it wasn't like I said, you know, a, a cuss word. It wasn't anything like that. And I said, I said it with a sincerity and a purity of heart that I didn't mean for it to sound like it sounded. But when I said it, it was like, oh, my gosh, that sounded so wrong. Have you ever done that where you, had, you, you were trying to say something good, and then all of a sudden it came out, and you were like, oh, crap. I just messed up. 
And I heard it, but it bothered me so much. But the problem with the church is some of us do things over and over and over and over and over again, and it never bothers us. Our hearts have become numb to the things of God. And it ought not be. I mean, this is what Jesus, Jesus talked about. He's, we, it's a change. It's, it's becoming a new creature. He died so that we could have new life. So that's the first misconception. I want you to understand. You can write these down. I don't, I don't want to talk up here just to hear myself talk. We're not just doing it to record a podcast. I would ask you to write these down and actually begin to look at them in your own life. The second one is this. Grace is my excuse for doing what I want. Romans six fifteen through 18. It says this. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as, as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. How many times... Do we uh, in life look at, look at our life and, and, and say you started a diet and, and we've all done this. How many of you, if you like could add up all the weight you've lost on diets, you would have lost a middle schooler? But you just somehow put it all back on, right? And, and if, we could, if we could just maintain that, we'd be a lot better off. But you start a diet, but there's something that happens. Like you go to work and you just have this day where, where you, um, you, you have this bad day. And so you come home and you're like, you know what? I worked hard. I deserve something for me. I, I, I have worked hard. And so you're like, but I'm on this diet, but I worked hard. Or you went and you exercised and you're like, you know what? I deserve something. I, I, I deserve to, 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 be, to bless myself. I need to just kind of shower myself with, with, with some blessings. And, and, and so you go and you eat like a whole pizza. Or, or maybe it's like four pieces of fudge cake and, and, and a big thing of milk. Or, or whatever it might be, or, or whatever it is. And, and so you come to this place of saying, I deserve this, right? And somehow in the church today, I don't know how it's happened, but somehow in the church today, we've come to this place of entitlement. We've come to this place where everything ought to be about me. And so we've got to come back to the reality that grace is not an excuse for doing whatever you want. Listen, you have not earned the right to live how you want to. Jesus died not so that you could just be forgiven, but so that he could change how you're living. So that you can become a reflection of him. He didn't die so I could continue in the things that I do. He died so that I could be changed and transformed. And I'm telling you, I talk to too many people in this church and other churches that they are doing things that are not right and they don't even care. I'm telling you, it shouldn't be. It should not be. It should not be that way. I mean, it says that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we become slaves to God. And he says, you've got to obey the one that you have willingly given yourselves to. He said, you used to be slaves to sin. Now you're not. You're slaves to righteousness. So if you're slaves to righteousness, then why are we living our lives as though we're not? Why are we living our lives as though we have to obey sin? We don't. God has given us power over that. So the second misconception of grace is that we can't use grace as an excuse for doing the things that we want to. Listen, grace, grace is what changes your heart so that you begin to desire the things that God desires. So it begins to move you in a different direction. 
Third one is this. How many of you have ever, who's been to Universal Studios? Anybody been to Universal Studios? A lot of people? You know, have you, you like those, uh, do you like the, 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 the moving sidewalks? How many of you like the moving sidewalks? It's pretty cool, right? You go and, and you get there to the little concourse thing where you can go all the different ways to the different parking places, and you walk in, they've got these, these moving sidewalks. But have you ever noticed this? And next time you go watch this because it's hilarious. You ever notice that when you're walking into the park that everybody is like, man, I don't need those things. They're like, man, they're so excited. Even like the older people, you see like 65-year-old, everybody's smiling and happy and high-fiving, and this is awesome. Somebody's acting like they're moonwalking, going down the moving sidewalk. They're all jacked up. They're ready to go. Man, it is so cool. It's so awesome to them. And then the funniest thing is they go in and they spend all day in the park. And when they come back, they look like they have been beaten, whipped. I mean, they're walking like Yoda. I mean, it's like they can't hardly move. And this is all age. The kids are like, you know, they're all whiny and mad and and everybody's in a bad mood. And, And so people are like going their own thing, doing, they're just so happy to be going into the park. But when they're coming out, they're just like, Jeez, I really have to walk down the steps now to get to my car. You know, because they are worn, slammed out. But that also is a picture of the way the American church views grace. Listen, we want to run and do our own thing in life. We want to run and go our own way, do our own thing, be about our own business until all hell breaks loose in our life. And then we have to fall back on God's grace. Is that not true? We want to go and do our own thing. We, we, we just stick our nose up at God, go our own way, we want to live our own way, do our own thing, and then we realize, oh, crap, I can't make this. And we come back and we fall on our knees, and we look like those people trying to get back to their car at Universal Studios. And so we're trying to just ride, take a coaster ride, just, just ride on the coattail of God and His grace. But that's not the way it should be. The third one is this, that, listen, I said a prayer, I confess my sin, Receive grace, and now I'm good. I said a prayer, confess my sin, receive grace, and now I'm good. Listen to this, Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, listen, we too may live a new life. That is the function of grace. How many people walk in church, they come in, and at the end, we've got this little format we do as church people now, and we say, okay, with every head bowed, every eye closed, and I'm not knocking this, this work, it's, it's, it's effective, it depends on the person doing it, that, that prays the prayer and what they do, but, but this is the thing we like to do, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Right now, nobody looking around, I see, don't, don't you look around. With every, every head bowed and every eye closed, this is what, if you want to receive Jesus today, then raise your hand. Thank you, thank you. And then we, we, and we, we've done this here before. I'm not knocking the process. We, when we say a prayer with them and then we applaud, you know, we're happy. But, but Corey, what was one of the first things I said to Corey? I said, listen, from this day forward, your life's different. He's, he's called you to be changed from now on. He's going to save you right now. He's going to save you tomorrow. And 10 years from now, he'll still be saving you by his grace and moving you closer to his image. Because we come in and we say this prayer, but then we walk out the door and nothing ever changes. That is not the God that this Bible talks about, right? Some of you don't know because you haven't read it. 
But that is the God that this Bible talks about. It talks about the fact that we don't just say a prayer, give, get grace, feel like we're okay, come back in the next week, say a prayer, get grace, go back out, come back in. Listen, there ought to be some change. If you said a prayer, you've asked Jesus into your heart, and you've been living your life for a while now, and nothing changed, we need to revisit that. Is that not true? That is truth, that we need to revisit that because grace is not just something to save you. It is something to change you. And see, we've got this all messed up. People, listen to me. God is not some big, white-bearded guy sitting up there in the sky who's looking at you and going, look, they're having way too much fun. Let me take that away from them. Look at there. He's over here. Whoa, oh, no, we can't be having that kind of fun. Let's, let's just say that. No, he's a loving father that knows what's best for you. He's a loving father who knows what's best. There's a lot of things I don't let my children do. But it's not because I hate them. It's because I love them. I don't let them go down to, to my dad's pond fishing by themselves. Why? Because I don't want them to drown. I don't let them run across the parking lot at Walmart. Why? Because they'd end up flat. All those crazy people. I don't do that because I love them. And somehow we look at the, the discipline of God, which the Bible is very clear. God disciplines those he loves. We look at the discipline of God and go, God, how could you be so ugly? How could you be so mean? How could Brandon stand up there and tell me that if I prayed a prayer and said a prayer and, and, and confessed my sin that I, and I didn't change, that I need to look at it again? Because I love you. Not because I'm sitting here trying to look down my nose at you. I just told you, I had to hit my knees during worship because there are things in my life that aren't perfect. But it if I'm going to let them stay that way. And I'm not going to stand up here week after week and try to comfort you and make you feel like it's okay to deny God and to not live the life he's called you to live because I want what's best for you. If you want to get mad at me, that's fine. Just whatever. Listen, we had started with seven. If we got to start with seven again, we can go to seven. I don't want that. That's not what I'm saying. But listen, <laughs> God is going to take care of this because his hand of grace is in everything that he puts on your heart to do. Right now, we've got a couple of big things in the church we're praying for. One of them, I ask you to be praying for this. Listen, we're, we're praying about um, a family and children's coordinator. We, we need somebody to come in and begin to take care of our kids. My wife has been doing a phenomenal job. Don't know what I'd do without her. She is a constant source of grace and a rock in our family. But she's having a baby in November. She also works part-time. She, she can't do it anymore. It's gotten out of control as far as what she can do and do and manage on her own. Listen, we had 47 kids in there three weeks ago. We had 41 two weeks ago. There's a bunch of youngins that go over there every week. And so we're praying, God, please send somebody. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. And God, who is it that you want us to, to see? Who, who is it that, that, that you've got in mind for this? And I'm praying and praying and nothing's happened. We're also praying. Listen, look around right now. This place is almost full and it is like July thir or June 13th. When students get back fully in the fall, when, when families aren't on vacation, this place is going to be really full. And we're praying, God, what about the room? What about, what about where we're going? And we're praying about a building. But I want you to understand this. I'm not concerned. I am not worried about that. Am I going to pray about it? Yes. But am I worried about it? No, because God's hand of grace is going to be upon what he calls you to do. He will supply everything that we have. And you can be confident in that. And that includes the ability to change your life. Amen. The ability to change your life. God's desire is that 
you become all that he wants and designed and created you to be. So God's grace, we've got to realize that just because we said a prayer, confess our sin or secret, that we need to continue to move. We need to continue to go. The last one. Um, grace is not our ticket to watch a religious game. I want to read Ephesians chapter 2. First of all, let me tell you, this is, this is a funny, funny story that happened. This is true. This is like just about a month ago. Anybody Braves fans in here? That's the first requirement here of being saved. If you're not a Braves fan, then we, we, we aren't sure. But, no, I'm just kidding. I love the Braves. I've loved the Braves since I was about five years old. I remember my mom and dad took me to my first Braves game, and I don't know what happened, but, but when I walked out of the little tunnel to the seats and I saw the lights and I saw that green grass and I saw the, the white uniforms in contrast to the green grass and that red dirt, something happened. It, I don't, it may have been demonic. I don't know what it was, but something happened that I was like, I'm doing that one day. And one day, I am doing that. The people would ask me, what are you going to do in college? This was like up until I was probably 10 years old. I'd be like, I'm not going. I'm playing baseball for my career. They're like, mm, okay. And, and, and so, but that was my heart. So a couple of months ago, a month and a half ago, something like that, we took um, Dake um, and a buddy of his up to a Braves game. And, and I remember that so vividly from when I was like five, six years old that I wanted to see his face when he saw the field because he enjoys playing baseball too. And so I wanted to see his face. So we're walking up there. I'm like, wait, 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 let me go. And so I run up ahead. And I'm like, all right, come on. It's kind of like Christmas morning when you let the kids come in and you got the camera. I was like, I wanted to see his face. Got the cell phone. You know, I'm ready. And, and it was the same reaction. He walks out, sees the light, sees the field. Oh my gosh. I was like, how about that, buddy? He was speechless. If you know Dake, that's not like Dake. He was speechless. He was like, <laughs> just big old, he's at that stage when their teeth look too big for their head. And so he's just, all I could see was teeth all afternoon. All I saw was teeth. He's just like this. And, and it was incredible. And then not only that, but, but we get into the game, second inning, Tommy Hansen, who's this young, great pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. I'm like, man, we're going to see a great game. They're going to kill the Reds, da-da-da-da-da. He gave up eight runs in the second inning. I was like, come on, God, help him out. And so, and so I'm sitting there, I'm like, no, maybe we'll get to see a great comeback. So they go on, and like through the, through the um, first eight innings, it's actually nine to three. And then they go in the top of the ninth. They, they come into the bottom of the ninth inning. The Braves are coming up to bat. And I'm like calling Susan on the phone. They'd gone and walked around. They couldn't suffer through it anymore. I called them. I was like, why don't you guys come back? And then we'll be ready to leave. Well, then, and I could tell you actually play by play how this went down. But I won't do I'll spare you from that. But they start getting hits, man. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. There's, you know, they got one hit. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then they got another hit. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then they started, the other team started making errors, and they were walking people and bringing pitcher after pitcher in. And this stuff was happening. I'm like, they got a chance. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, and, and we're thinking, now we've got, like, nobody out um, or one out. We got, uh, um, who was it, Martin Prada, Jason Hayward, and Chipper Jones coming up to bat. And I'm like, yes. This is going to be awesome. We've got a chance because they were actually the winning runs at that point. And so they come up, and, and we go all the way through it. I think Prado walks or something. Bases loaded. Jason Hayward, I'm thinking, he's the one that's going to strikes out. Chipper Jones comes up, and, and, and then I realize, oh, Chipper is out of the game. I'm like, crap. 
what? And I look over and it's Brooks Conrad. Anybody ever heard of Brooks Conrad? You, but a month and a half ago, had you heard of Brooks Conrad? No, because he was not on the radar, right? He was not on the radar. And it's Brooks Conrad instead of, we call him Limper Jones now because he's hurt all the time. But but Brooks Conrad comes up and we're thinking, this is not going to work. This is horrible. How come Chipper's not still in the game? And he gets up and he hits a ball that, that hits off of the guy's glove as he jumps up to catch it and goes over the fence. And what was awesome about it is that was the game-winning run. It was what they call a walk-off grand slam. It was incredible. And I'm sitting there, and all at once, there was this guy who had been talking smack for the Reds all game long. And I jump up and down, and I don't even realize it, but I totally lose control. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm jump- I mean, I had to be like, have like a 40-inch vertical at this point because I'm going crazy. I'm just jumping up and down. I turned around. I was like, in your face, dude, in your face. Get some of that. I didn't really do that part, but I wanted to so bad because I was like, yeah, but I mean, and I'm losing it. And I turned around and I looked at Dave. I'm like, surely what's he doing? He's like, <laughs> all I could see were teeth, man. It was so, he did that all afternoon. And so anyway, it's a long story, but it was one of the most incredible things. But you know what would have been even better? And I sat there and I know this is crazy for a 34 year old to do this. I still sat there and went, what if I had been a part of that? What if I was one of them down there in the huddle, jumping up and down with them? What if I could have been the one that was on base or, or that even had hit the ball? How cool would that have been? But listen, so many times in church, we do that. So many times in our Christian life, we just think that by grace, we have this ticket to observe some kind of religious ball game. And that's not the case. God has called us to be a part of the ball game. He's called us to be in play. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. There are too many people in churches today who are observing and not serving. They're watching and not participating. Can you imagine if instead of 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, if 80% of the people would begin to do their part, just 80%. Just 80%. I mean, listen, we've got these children over here next door. We've got children, precious children who need to know the love of Jesus. But I'm going to be real honest with you. I get tired of watching my wife pull her hair out to get people to work over there. I do. See, it's not the fact that you were being faithful to me. It's not the fact that you're being faithful to Susan. You're not even being faithful to this church. You are being faithful to God. You are being faithful to do the things that God has called you to do. It is amazing. We can line up people to greet folks that come in the door. Believe it or not, that is the most important thing we do on Sunday morning a lot of time. Because if you walk through the door, you have not been in church in a while or never before, how you get greeted often determines if you will come back. And if we're going to be reaching people for Jesus, it's going to be hard to do it if we can't get consistency in here. And so we've got to realize, listen... When you, when, when you got opportunity to serve, it's not us trying to make you do stuff. It's your opportunity to be used by God. It's your opportunity. And so we have this incredible, incredible opportunity to get involved with the game. Ephesians 2, 7 through 10 says this. I'll begin in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourself is the gift of God, not by works so that no, no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Listen, 
God's grace, the free gift of God's grace is what um, it says in, uh, gosh, where is it? Is what it says in the Bible, okay? I can't find my scripture. It's actually... <laughs> It's actually Ephesians 1, 6. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given. Grace is the free gift of God given to you. It's the free gift of God, but it also says that you are his workmanship. Listen, he's recreating you into somebody that can be used for his kingdom. And he's given you good works to do. Don't just observe. Get in and serve and let God just use you. Let, let yourself see that God will use you. He wants to use you. He can take an ordinary life and do extraordinary things. You matter to God. If, he, if it didn't, if you didn't, then he would not have died for you. But you matter to God. And now it's time to get in the game and begin to play. Because I can tell you, it is a whole lot more fun when you're in the game than it is when you're sitting back and you're watching it. So what is grace? Real quick, real quick. This is a definition of grace you can write down. Grace is the unmerited favor and the undeserved blessing of God. Very simple. It is the unmerited favor and undeserved blessing of God. It is the forgiveness and mercy of God that you did not deserve, but that Jesus died for you to have. It is the free gift of God that you cannot earn. You cannot do enough good to earn God's love. But it is also the power of God to change. Listen to this. Romans 6, 6. Romans 6, 6 says this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. That phrase, done away with, that, the, that our old self has been done away with, it doesn't mean that it's been extinct, that it's gone away. It simply means that it has been made ineffective. It means that it has been, the power of it has been taken away so that we are able to change now. We, we are able to cling to God's grace. Listen, so many of us sit week after week in church and we live our lives with, with all the, the, everything that we could possibly need, right? Besides this well of nourishment, this well, this thirst that we have that we can quench, it's right there, but we don't draw from it. We don't draw from Jesus's grace that he can begin to work in our lives and change. And that's something that grace definitely wants to do. The power of sin has been disarmed. And this is the last thing about grace is the fact that it's free. Listen, you can't earn it. You cannot earn the grace of God. It's freely given. It is freely given to you wherever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been. But then it comes to a point where it begins to change our lives. Now listen to this though. This is, this is something that is interesting. Luke chapter 15, Jesus says this. Luke chapter 15, 28 through 30. Actually, 14, 28 through 30. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone will see it, who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow 
began to fit to build and was not able to finish. Jesus is telling us to count the cost of following him. When Nehemiah went into the city, one of the first things he did before he told anybody about what he was going to do, he goes and he rides around the city looking at the destruction. I believe this with all my heart. I believe that Nehemiah was riding at night with very few people knowing about it, looking at the walls to see if this is something that I really want to try to do. Do I, Am I really willing to do this? Will I count the cost? Listen, will I count the cost of what it's going to take to complete this? And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you need to count the cost of what it's going to take to follow me. We miss that so many times that the, he says, count the cost. But here's the thing that's crazy to me. How, if it's a free gift, how can it cost us? Right? If it's free, it's either free or it costs you. One way or another. It, it can't be both, can it? But he, see here, this is where it gets fun. Look at this. I brought a little, little, little something for you. And, and I want to show you something because this is what God really put on my heart this week. And, and this is something. I'm going to need a couple of volunteers to do this. Any, who'd like to get $5 today? Anybody want some money today? Five bucks? All right. Come on. Come on, Cash. $5. That kid, he's like, I, would do, I will eat a roach for $5. It does not matter to me. He said I would. And so... Wait, 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 wait. You, you don't have anything to give me. So you better go back. Go get that dollar over there in that seat. Yeah. Did everybody get some money today? Were you blessed to walk in in our tough economic situation and get money? If you notice, people in the front got 20s. Those in the back got ones. Um, it's just that, that, that it doesn't mean that we like you anymore. And we're not trying to pay you to come to church. So don't let that ring. All right, come here. Come here. Let's see. All right. So would you be willing to swap that, that, that $10 for this? I mean, you got 10 bucks, man. Would you swap it for five? Yeah. You would? Okay. Yeah. Why would you do that? Because it's a fake 10. Because it's a fake 10, right. All right, so, so you'd be willing to do that. Yeah. Okay. Would it, would it bother you? Uh, let me ask you, would it bother you at all if, if, if I took this and I burn it? Oh, gosh, I'm scared. Okay. <laughs> Not really. Did it bother you? No. No? How about if I came in and I filled up your entire room with those? Would you be excited? No, no. How about this? Let me, can I have your, can I hold this? Is this okay if I burn this? No. I mean, would it bother you? Yeah. It would? Why would it bother you? Because it's real. Because it's real. So you don't want me to burn your $5. Even for a good demonstration, you don't want me to burn your $5. Exactly. You sure? Okay. All right. Well, I'll let let you keep it then. All right. Cool. All right. Good. But, but see, here's the thing, guys. Listen to this. Listen to this. The, The fact of the matter is the only way it can cost us everything and not cost us anything, is that what Jesus is asking us to give up has no value. Listen, everything that you treasure, everything that is important to you, I hope that's out of fire. That's what it's going to be. Everything that you try to put so much value in, that's what it's going to turn into. It doesn't have any value. And we spend so much time avoiding God and avoiding the things that God calls us to do when that is really the value of the things that most often times cause us the most problems. Think about this. The things in your life that cause you the most stress and the most heartache, are they things that are going to last in eternity? No, they're not. Because that's what most of them are going to end up being. Jesus said to store up treasure where moth and rust can't destroy. But most of us work all of our life trying to avoid giving up the things that God's called us to give up because we see value in them when in reality there is none. It is a free gift because Jesus said, if you will lose your life, you will find it. If you will come to a place of giving everything you have, which has no value anyway for eternity, quit living for 70 years and live for eternity, get an eternal focus in your mind, then that will bring life to you 
But this stuff never will. This stuff never will. And so many of us are clinging so tight. I got one more thing and I'm going to let you go. I need one more volunteer. Anybody want some money? Okay, Betsy. Betsy's like, I'll take all the money I can get. Come on, Betsy. There's, there's the possibility of about 11 bucks right here. Okay? How many golf balls do you think you can hold? Come on. Come on. With my dress? No, not with your dress. No, we're not doing that. All right, no, no, like, no, separate your hands. Okay, let's see. I think we can get, let's get one more in there. I think you can do, all right, now, see if you can clasp them. Hold them tight now, hold them tight. You got it? You got it? Think we, maybe we can do one more. Let's see. Think you can do it, Betsy? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Now, this is the deal, Betsy. I got two more if you want them. Um, but here's the deal. I got like $11 in change right here, okay? Whatever you can hold in your hands, you get to take home. That'd be good. I mean, that'd be like lunch at least, right? So here's what I'm going to You can kind of put them closer together. There you go. I'm just going to pour whatever you can hold on to. Here, here, get some of this. What do you think you got there, Betsy? Mm, not much. <laughs> Maybe a dollar? Yeah, a dollar too. two here. You can put that. Uh, we'll, we'll cash it in later. That's heaven. You don't want any money? You just wanted to be in the demonstration, didn't you? All right. But here's the point, guys. So many of us are holding on to junk. We're holding on to stuff, and we're living off the crumbs of God's blessing. We can't hold everything that God wants to pour into our lives because we won't let go of stuff. We won't let go of the things that are robbing us. And God's grace is not to bring you to a point of being miserable. It is to release you to life. It's to bring you to newness of life. And the things that you think, if I part with them, that's going to destroy me are the things that if you'll part with them, God will bring new life to you. But we live like this. We live with the blessing of God. God wanting to pour into our lives so much, but we hold on to so much stuff in our lives. We, we've got this misconstrued idea of grace that if I can just, you know, I hear this all the time and I, and I know it's true, but, but you hear people say we're human beings, not human doings. And that is true, that we are human beings and we have to be. But I want to tell you this, anytime you are in the presence of God, when you get in the presence of God, you will be provoked to change. You'll be provoked to action. You'll be provoked to do. And I hope this morning that you maybe have been encouraged or challenged to realize that the things that you are holding on to, if you are miserable, the things that I am holding on to are so many times things that do not matter. And we're ignoring the gift of God's grace and we're counting the cost will be way too high because it really has no value in our life. The things that are holding us back, the things that are keeping you up at night are the things they really don't matter. They really don't mean much. And even if it is something that you say, well, I don't know. Listen, God's got it covered by his grace. And so you and I are here today, and, and I know many of us are holding on to things that, that just, they don't matter. And it's impeding you from living in the fullness of God's grace and the fullness of the life he wants you to have. It's holding challenge you today. What's holding you back? What's keeping you from living in the fullness of God's grace? I just believe today that God would deal with our hearts and bring us to a place where we see clearly and we can walk truly in freedom that Jesus proclaimed because I don't see many people who are actually living in the freedom that God has for us according to his word. That's God's desire. His word is true. We can have what God tells us in the Bible the freedom, the love, the grace, that the fruit of the Spirit can actually manifest in our lives.
but we can't do it with one foot in the boat and one foot out. I had that happen one time. I ended up soaking wet in the pond. And that's what's happening to a lot of people because we won't get in the boat. We won't let God's grace take us where it wants to take us. Right? Let's pray.